Starry Voices. Demystifying Zero Trust is a podcast created by Istari, a global cybersecurity platform. At Istari, our mission is to help create a digitally resilient future for the businesses we work with. This podcast series explores the strategy of Zero Trust as a way to help build cyber resilience. Thank you for joining us for episode 107, March 1st, 2022. I'm your host, Don O'Neill, client partner with Astari. Today, we are speaking with VP of Global Healthcare at Forescout on tying together enforcement points with a central policy manager like Forescout and how to get started on the journey through asset discovery. Thank you very much, Tamara, for joining today. Really appreciate your time. We've been talking on the podcast so far about some of the origins of Zero Trust, some of the challenges around what Zero Trust brings to an organization. Talk to me a little bit about why Forescout feels that Zero Trust is important for a business to begin with. Thanks for having me, Don. I appreciate it as well. That's a really good starting question just to understand the importance of it from a business mindset. I think that zero trust is not a new concept, as we know. It's been around for at least a decade, even longer, really, realistically. But the reason why it's really important today, especially compared to the days of past, is that the networks have just evolved greatly over time. And by that, I mean the types of devices that are connecting, where they're connecting from, how they're connecting, the number of devices connecting, everything that's joining these enterprises is just it's prolific and only growing on a daily basis and only growing leaps and bounds, especially for the you know non-traditional devices, for example. So with all these evolutionary changes happening to networks, I think this is where, where zero trust becomes more and more important here to a business. Gotcha. That's a very good point. I've seen it where an organization thinks about their network still as the traditional desktop connected to a LAN when that's not the fact, and it hasn't been that for a long time. Right, absolutely. Considering the NIST definition of zero trust, what is Forescout's opinion or definition of how you see zero trust? So we we work very closely with NIST. We have for many years, and even while they were writing this 800-207 special publication that you know defined their architecture, their version of zero trust, we work with them on it because we love the agnostic nature of this architecture. And that's obviously for anybody that knows Forescout in any way, shape or form, that is one of the things that we love the most is going into an environment completely agnostic. So so for us, it doesn't matter what your infrastructure is, what vendors and security products or other products that you use, it doesn't, you know, we'll snap right into that agnostic nature. Now, when we look at this architecture that they've defined, there's two key elements to it is They've separated out what they call a PDP or a policy decision point and a PEP, a policy enforcement point. And that for me is something that once you've actually defined what what a specific vendor tool, platform, et cetera, that you're using, where does it actually fit? Does it fit in as an actual PEP or a PDP? What you'll find is that the vast majority of the vendors out there calling themselves zero trust vendors, which... There are plenty, and we've all been through the ocean of vendors that say they they participate in zero trust architecture, but unfortunately, they don't really play into it. But what we're finding is that the vast majority are actually enforcement points. And yes, they have a policy engine in there, but they really are an enforcement point. And this is where Forescout fits into the model a little bit different than most other vendors. We sit in there as the macro level PDP, so policy engine for 
the macro scale across all of your other service, uh, security products that you have and own to really make a smart decision of trust and then do enforcement across multiple enforcement points there that you have for all these other vendors doing their jobs. Yeah, I think that's a very important delineation between the enforcement point and the policy decision point. I've been working in the industry on zero trust solutions for close to 10 years, and there's just not a lot of players that are playing in that centralized policy decision point arena like Forescout is. And an organization can throw out a million and one tools to do enforcement, but without that centralized orchestration of all of those enforcement points, it really becomes difficult to manage. Yeah, it's more complicated now than ever before because these devices that are communicating across your enterprise are crossing multiple planes. They're crossing multiple points in your enterprise. So when you talk about an enforcement point, you likely are going to have to have policies in place that touch multiple enforcement points. Some of these enforcement points will be on the, the network layer two infrastructure. Others will be layer three infrastructure. Others will be agent-based, some will be virtual enforcement or security tagging, et cetera. There's so many places that you have to do enforcement on when you're planning out a a zero trust architecture that you need something that can actually do this enforcement across all these different planes. Yeah, absolutely. How have you seen the market kind of evolve over the last few years, especially considering that Forescout as a company really started out as a NAC player or a network access control player and has really evolved into this centralized policy platform? How have you seen the rest of the market evolve? Yeah, this plays a little bit into some other points that gets called out by the Zero Trust Architecture NIST has published, as well as others, in that we can't just focus on a managed workstation and a human user when we're talking about Zero Trust. That's too limited in scope because of the number of entry points and attack vectors across that threat landscape you call an enterprise. There's just too many other variables involved for you to just be able to focus on that. And that's why Forescout We've evolved far and beyond just NAC. So yes, we still do access control and we still do it very well. And we do it in a very vendor agnostic way. So again, doesn't tie you into any vendor. You can swap and change infrastructure as needed and continue having access control. But one of the things that we've done with our evolution is we've we've realized that we can't just focus on those simple managed devices, for example. So we've turned our eye to provide that complete visibility across everything that's unagentable, unmanageable, all those IoT devices, all those IOMT devices, all those OT devices. And if you think you don't have operational technology devices, think again, because everybody's got building automation systems, HVAC systems, and and other things that are considered operational in, in, in nature, even if you're not a manufacturing plant or an energy producing company, for example. So when we look across the vast set of enterprises and verticals out there and what the threats are actually coming in from and we want to incorporate zero trust into all that that will play a big part in our evolution to be able to provide that complete visibility plus the assessment of all those two different types of devices and give you the ability to govern your network and and take control of these things and and get them into compliance for example or put them in their right zones for as another example yeah, that's a very good point. Besides the prolification of all different kinds of devices, what other things should an organization be concerned with? If you're an organization and you're not paying attention to this pr- proliferation of the other devices, that should be concerning because what we have found, and there's research out there as well as we've seen some hit the news now, active exploits of these 
non-traditional devices. So when you're looking at these non-traditional things and if you're not paying attention to them, a breach has already compromised uh, enterprises through these IoT devices to the point where they can actually take control over them and move laterally through your network and, and use them as a Linux box, which is any attacker's dream, right? Because we all know that these IoT devices are, are basically running a Linux platform inside of them most of the time. They, sometimes they have different types of flavors in them. So that's one of the big things that we think that a business should be paying attention to and looking out for. Because if you're kind of just focusing on the managed stuff, that's great. You need a handle on those, but that's about 30%, maybe 50% of your network at most from the networks that we're all we're, we're visualizing right now. So you really have to start paying attention to the other stuff because attacks are already happening coming in from those directions and they're already being able to move laterally across those networks. And they don't even have to be on your network. This is coming in from the internet. So anybody that's got a subscription to Shodan can quickly and easily log in. And I was just looking at it today and I just popped in one single IP camera vendor, one vendor, one model of one vendor and found it just in the US alone, something like 6,000 uh, companies that had IP accessible cameras exposed to the internet with FTP open on them. So it's like, these are the basic things that we're able to identify quickly and easily and, and people should start paying attention to because I think that that's something that is growing not in numbers but also in concern yeah absolutely talk a little bit more about that discovery aspect of the zero trust architecture knowing what's connected to your network and where it is on your network whether or not it's inside or outside in the cloud etc explain to the audience the importance around that and and how that ultimately plays into writing and making policies yeah so i'll use a couple of quick uh, real world examples here and this ties into to many aspects of life beyond cybersecurity. If you're just looking at or focusing in on a, a spot and just a component of your network only, and you're not taking into consideration the whole big picture, this is where you're going to get hit because an attack is going to come in from another part of your network. And by the time it reaches the part that you're paying attention to, you're already seven steps behind that attacker, and that attacker can already move laterally and bypass some of these controls you put in place. It's really important that you gain that complete visibility across the entire enterprise. Otherwise, you lose that situational awareness. And the response I usually get from that is, well, I've got this tool doing that or that tool doing this and this tool looking at that. But then I come to the table and I say, okay, great. So tell me how many devices have XYZ and we'll just call out anything that, that needs to be maintained for compliance. And then let's say, well, this tool's telling me this, and that tool's telling me that, and this tool's telling me this, and it's three different answers for, for the same question. So it becomes, okay, so who do you trust? How do you know which one is right when each of them are only having a piece of that picture, right? Because that's that's a common issue that we find across enterprises, and this is where Forescout steps in and becomes a source of truth. And this happened to me because before I joined Forescout nearly eight years ago, I was a customer. And this is the thing that I ran into daily and in understanding, well, what do I believe? And this is, again, where Forescout came in and we were able to, to implement and show two dozen methods of visibility and assessment so that we didn't have those blind spots anymore. We were able to connect multiple parts of my enterprise, whether it was the on-prem campus stuff back into our data center, as well as the cloud aspect of it. Back then, the cloud wasn't as prolific, but nowadays it's a lot more, uh, makes a lot more sense. 
But now we're able to see all of this in a single platform and a single source of truth because, again, with two dozen methods, now I'm not relying on an agent that could be break-in or can't see in certain parts of the network. Now I'm not relying on just a scan where I can't scan all of my network or being intermittent in nature now because we're so on and off the network with today's world, especially during the pandemic. That makes it even less uh, reliable. But uh, all these other tools, again, we're able to tie them all together, get you a source of truth, use the two dozen methods so that you can make really informed decisions now. Once you have that real visibility, now you can take that visibility and move on towards the compliance, the remediation, the governing of your network from there. Very good points. I've always said that you can't write a policy for something you can't see. And if you can't see it, you don't know what the risk is to write a policy. So so kind of going back to that concept of that centralized policy management, how was that really critical to the overall architecture of Zero Trust? Well, if you're going to look at uh, the NIST version of it, for example, I know there's other versions of Zero Trust architectures out there, but we've been focused on NIST today. When you look at that, you'll realize that there are components of compliance. There are components of threat detection. There are components of identity and SIM and what they call the CDM program, so the continuous diagnosis and mitigation. There are all these elements that need to be tied into that PDP, the policy decision, so that you make a smart decision of trust. And here's where Forescout plays a big role, but also where a lot of people are forgetting when they're setting their zero trust policies and they're they're creating their rules, quite often I'm finding they're just paying attention to that one tool, for example, that agent-based tool is one, one good example, where I'm only able to check what that tool can check. It's its own micro ecosystem. And that's where I think we would fall down because unless we're incorporating that plus the information from the other systems and tools. So if I've got an EDR tool and I've got a vulnerability assessment and I've got all these other systems telling me what to trust or not, I need to really be able to tie them together so that if one of the many tools are all telling me, yep, we're good, but one of them flags something, hey, I've got indicators of compromise here, or I've got a two-year-old critical CVE on this device or whatever it may be, I need to be able to revoke that trust or not allow that trust to begin with if they joined the network and had any of these bad things. So that's something that I think we need to really consider that a lot of people are potentially missing when we're talking about policy engine and policy decisions. And it's just making sure we tie them all together because that's the only way to make an actual smart decision of trust when we're looking at this, specifically this NIST architecture. You mentioned about the fact that many tools can give you many answers that really plays into how Forescout can provide kind of a centralized authority of truth, really. What are the gaps kind of exist in the in the security tool marketplace that can be exposed by somebody going down this journey to zero trust, for yes. example, in the endpoint or in the cloud? So some of the gaps that, that could exist, first and foremost, is that is agents go bump in the night. I don't know why we uh, we've all been around for for a long time in this industry and I don't think anybody's ever explained or understood if if you do you probably have a billion dollar idea to understand why agents break no clue it just happens it's the nature of the beast so if you're relying on an agent based system you're just going to expect that anywhere from 10 to 15% of your deployed endpoints are not working correctly or reporting right it's a pretty big gap when you consider it, especially if you're a very large enterprise. That that number can be quite large from what we've discovered on there. So that's one gap there. But the other gap that we're missing quite often when we look at all these other vendors and solutions, which 
don't get me wrong, they're necessary. You do need these as components into a zero trust architecture. We need these enforcement points. We need these components to be able to do their jobs as well. So, so yes, they are critical elements. It's not like you don't need them, but you can't just rely on it by itself. That's the other missing piece is that people forget that it is a multi-vendored approach because how else are you going to fill in the gaps for all those other devices that are big threats that can move laterally and move into your trusted environment because you're not paying attention to them, because they're not agentable, because you can't take traditional means towards setting some zero trust rules or policies against them. So those are probably the two biggest gaps that I would think that folks are running into in a zero trust conversation or project. And and how does Forescout help kind of plug that gap of an agent not running and, and other issues like that? So because Forescout is, again, without the blind spots, we, we do everything agentless so we can discover something joining the network as soon as it joins the network, however it's going to join the network. One of the very first things, very popular use case across all of our customers is that uh, well, as soon as that device joins the network, we do an immediate assessment. Are all five agents, 10 agents, however many agents are installed in your organization, are they all installed and running and also communicating with that server it's supposed to communicate with? So it's a three-part check that we look for. If any of them are failing that check, we can automatically remediate. So Forescout does have the ability to not just report problems and not just have another dashboard, but it has the ability to take action. And this is where... We're reducing the time it takes to roll out these kinds of zero trust models because we're able to non-disruptively implement this so that if we see something bad, just fix it, install the agent, or if it's installed, turn it on and start it. We can trigger the actions it takes to automatically remediate and get something healthy so that it can communicate the way it needs to. And we don't have to wait for a human to touch this or wait for ticketing or wait for something to happen because again, it's one of the fastest ways that you can slow down or stop a zero trust pro- project is by disrupting your user base. Yeah, that's a very good differentiator for Forescout. Really, in my experience, a lot of the other vendors don't have the capability of making sure that three-pronged approach of a uh, system being healthy. How does Forescout compare to other vendors in the policy management and uh, centralized management uh, space like you do? So if we look at the NIST project. So the NCCOE NIST has released or started a zero trust project and invited, there was hundreds of applicants to, from vendors to join this project. I think they selected about 19 or so vendors to join. When you look at all the vendors that NIST has chosen to be able to build ideal solutions, ideal networks so that they can help other customer, their customers, the people that look towards NIST, help them understand what a zero trust implementation actually looks like. Out of all those vendors, Forescout's the only one that's uniquely positioned as that macro level PDP. The other vendors that are in there are all really PEPs, they're all enforcement points. And again, they're necessary. We need enforcement points as part of your architecture, but they all compete against each other in that space because when they look at their policy engines, it's only a policy engine in their micro ecosystem, right? And this is what we talked about before is the Forescout macro policy engine is able to tie in all the different enforcement points and security products that are all deployed, where quite often most enterprises I go to already potentially own everything they need to be able to deploy a zero trust architecture. It's just a matter of tying them together with a policy engine and then reversing a policy, for example, so that we do the checks first and then grant access versus automatically tagging them in a firewall, for example. So 
So this is something that we find very different and unique to us, especially when we look at the other vendors landscape is nobody else is doing this at that macro level where we can not only make the decision of making a smart decision of trust, but also being able to do the enforcement in real time continuously on connect for everything, no matter where they're coming in from to be able to trigger the actions needed. That's that's very unique for us there. If I was for scout, for example, I would be honored to be part of that NIST showcase. It's just, it's an amazing position to be in, especially considering you guys, from my experience, are, are kind of the biggest PDP vendor agnostic company that has the ability to tie all of these other products together and really make a centrally managed platform for organizations. How does the visibility and control that you ultimately get by tying all of these enforcement points together and, and the visibility directly from the Forescout platform allow an organization to develop what is really the best approach to zero trust policy management, which is around least privilege access? Okay, so this is great because this is what I term as the second half of a zero trust architecture. The first half is all about how you make a smart decision of trust. So what devices and users I'm going to trust, and that could be managed, unmanaged, what decisions I want to make to trust them, what systems and tools I want to use to be able to help define what to trust or not, right? This is the decision to trust something or not is half of the battle, and that's where we've talked so far. The second half of this zero trust architecture is, well, now how do I even know what to let it talk to? <laughs> because there's east, west, north, south traffic that all needs to be controlled and identified and defined in this architecture. And this is something that we found is exceedingly difficult, even more so than the first half, which is how do I even write the policy to allow access to what it needs to have access to and only that. And this is where, again, Forescout plays a big role in it because we take the reverse approach from most vendors in the sense that before you even try and write a policy, we're just going to show you everything that's communicating. And we're going to show you what's talking to what all the way east, west, north, south. And we're going to show it to you in a way that's meaningful to your business. So it'll be defined, not IPs and ports and protocols. It's going to be defined by these device types or these user types or these dimensions, we call them, communicating to these other dimensions. So I can see and identify if I'm in a hospital network, for example, I can easily I see that these nurses stations are speaking to these glucose monitors or these are speaking to that. And we're seeing them in defined ways that if I'm a financial services per person, then I can see these ATM machines are communicating this way. And these servers and systems and user types are communicating to those machines, for example. We're able to quickly and easily identify all the different types of traffic in a way that's easily read, read by a human, easily defined by a human. So now I can finally sit down and make some policies because I know how things are talking now. I can see what's talking to what. And then if I drill into it, it'll show me the port, the protocol, et cetera. But I can see it quickly and easily in a dimension that makes sense to my brain as a human user. And then I can start writing some simple rules, some zero trust rules to say, okay, well, this looks like how it's happening today. Let me write these rules here, here, and here. Because if I'm normally trying to do this the other way around, I'll tell you now that 90% of the things out there, they don't tell you exactly how they communicate. They're undocumented. Even if I look up this IP camera vendor, how it's supposed to communicate, it does things different than expected. So things communicate differently and are very hard to track down. Again, especially if we're talking about the harder stuff, the non-human stuff, right, the, the unmanageable. 
So we're going to show all that to you in a very easy and concise way to just even help you design your policies alone, right? That way you can come up with a policy that makes sense because you already see how things work today. Very good points around behavior not being what it's expected. On the flip side of that, as an organization is starting to roll out their policies, what are some of the things they can do to test non-destructively, especially in operational technology environments, which is sometimes a life and safety issue? How can they test out those policies? Yeah, operational technology definitely makes sense, especially in the medical world. IONT is in the industrial world where I've seen things like cranes being tipped over and and actually dropping loads on the factory floor because they've been uh, disrupted, for example. So this is going to be a key element of this. And, And this leads back to one of the original statements I said earlier, which is, Okay, so now I'm trying to roll out the Zero Trust project. And if I disrupt the, the users or disrupt the business at all, that project is going to die on the vine fairly quickly. So what we do differently is not only are we going to do that, help you design these policies that we just described. And once I've seen the traffic flows, I can start writing some rules. We give the, our customers the ability to simulate your Zero Trust rules before you implement anything. It'll simulate, it'll show you this is any violations to that so that once I punch this in and I'm looking at my rules, if I see that little violation flag, I can quickly click into that and see, I totally forgot this port or I totally forgot this device type or whatever it may be. And it allows you to have a really fine tune your policies non-disruptively because we haven't actually turned the controls on yet. The other thing that we see with policy violations is quite often actually that things are communicating in a way that should not be happening right now. So it gives you the already the visibility to see, well, this is already being, this is already bad. But before I disrupt the, the community, I know that there, these devices, this part of my data center was supposed to be migrated over. Before I cut access off by accident, I can easily spin up that quick project to move them to where they're supposed to be in my data center before I turn this on. So again, that's some of the, the use cases we found is that Things are communicating outside the way that you were expecting. And again, you can simulate this stuff before you actually turn the controls on, see all your violations, understand where your violations are at, fine tune it or fix it, and then turn on that actual enforcement at that point once you're all ready for it. That's a very important concept to remember that even the fact that you're not in an enforcement mode you'll actually be able to see whether or not you have any kind of bad actors in your environment because you'll see behavior that is not expected. And an organization can go so far to even clean up their environment before they start blocking traffic, especially if they're concerned about affecting something that might be in production. Yeah, and and it's not always bad actors. Sometimes it's just humans. We make mistakes. And what we found is that the data center thing use case I just gave is was a real life use case of one of our customers where they migrated everything over to a new data center for this specific user base because they had to separate tenants within their organization. And when they turned this on, they realized that a whole bunch of those those users were still talking back to the old the part of their data center that they thought they had migrated because they never migrated a few of their servers. So this is, you know, again, this is something that we just shine a flashlight in and just show you what's good, what's not. And it's not always a bad actor because we do this continuously so that let's say you have enforced this. The other thing that we find is that, okay, a new firewall rule got implemented or whatever it may be that you use. It could be security groups, any other way that you're implementing this. And all of a sudden we're seeing violations six months from now. Well, quite honestly, again, it's probably not a bad actor, although it can be. And we have found that as well. 
more often than not, it's just somebody overwrote a rule and accidentally opened up privileges when we had previously closed them. So we're able to identify and catch those types of mistakes as well, because we're all human and, and we do make mistakes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Humans make mistakes. <laughs> I think that's where more security problems come into play than anywhere else. It's just the human element. So after an organization has gone through this exercise of mapping out their infrastructure, mapping out their devices, developing policies, putting them in a non-enforcement mode to kind of monitor what's going on, and then they make the next step into enforcing these policies, what should an organization do next? By no means are they done at that point, right? No, no. So we're making this sound a lot easier than it is, quite frankly. This will be a multi-phase, multi-pronged approach, but I think one of the differences that we do is a lot of folks talk about implementing zero trust by trying to pick out small parts of their networks and building from there this part to that part to that part to that part. We, again, we kind of do things backwards in the sense that, look, we're we're going to show you the complete visibility first because we can give you that within a month, two months, three months. For if you're a very large enterprise, it might take three months. But once you've got that complete picture, it allows you to accelerate these the path to zero trust because now... You're not doing this little project in one area at a time. You're gaining that visibility first, and you're getting an ROI immediately by understanding all this stuff. And then you can start writing your rules, and you're just probably not going to be done writing rules for that least privilege enforcement because there's always going to be new devices that come on the network that you haven't written a rule for. There's always going to be something new that that comes across because we're out, we're ever evolving. So you're never going to be done in that sense. But at least the foundation is laid where it's easy enough to just write one more rule six months from now when some new kind of whatever gets put on a network that we've never seen before, right? We're able to translate that into to a rule without taking much effort and during your, your change control process at that point. So so you're never done in that sense. But And the other element is, again, the reason why it's important to have something vendor agnostic is your organization's always going to go through some changes in the enterprise. So you're going to have M&A. You're going to acquire some new agency. They're going to have God knows what uh, vendors, products, what their network looks like. We need to be able to point to that, gain that visibility, understand what's good, what's bad before we suck them into the environment. You're going to have infrastructure changes and upgrades, vendor changes and upgrades, change of leaderships, which have their own mindsets of what they want to use. So there's all these changes that are ever evolving. So that's always going to be incorporated. But once you've at least laid down all this foundational work and you've got the system in place that has a PDP, you've got the system in place where you can quickly and easily transition from one vendor to another in the same set of rules, it makes it easy to just say, okay, instead of checking for this agent, we're going to check for that agent now. Same set of rules, just change the agent name for if you change vendors, for example. So that, that I think, is what makes it easier to continually maintain from that point. You make it sound too easy, Tamara. I know. I don't I don't mean to come off as it's that easy. It really, obviously, this this is a journey that everybody has to go through. And, and and there's plenty of hoops that we all have to jump through to get there. But I will say we do make it easier. At least we give you the ability to accelerate these projects because we give you this information up front and give you the ability to empower your teams to do this. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you see zero trust and the security architecture itself going in the next five to 10 years? So what I think is going on here is that the mainstream out there have not paid as much attention to this explosion of devices coming on the network because the breaches, the news, all the stuff that everybody sees in, on the newspapers, well, I newspapers, nobody reads those anymore, but all the things that are coming in through the media will say, 
they're not really, uh, except for the few that have made it, like the the casino that got breached by the fish tank, for example, there are a few and far between. I think what's going to happen in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see an explosion of that. We're going to see so many more breaches coming in from these IoT devices that in the next five to 10 years, that zero trust messaging and that zero trust is going to be a lot more focused on what I talked about today. So right now, people aren't getting ahead of that game. They're really focused on just the managed system users, for example. If those of you that are adopting this methodology today are going to be ahead of the curve because in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be far more mandated to start controlling and, and visualizing and getting access rules for all those IoT, IOMT, OT, all these different types of devices that are going to get hit a lot more than they are today. So that's where I think it's going in the next five to 10 years. We're going to start seeing things like ransomware coming in from instead of a phishing attack, it's going to come in from an IoT device that has moved laterally and 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 put those that ransomware on those devices because they were able to take control, command and control over those IoT devices, which are, we all know, not well patched and maintained. So I think that's going to happen a lot more in the next five to 10 years. It's going to open up a lot of eyes and people are going to have to react to it later if they haven't already done it. Hey, don't give them any ideas, okay? It's happening already. I'm not giving, these are not new ideas, but once we start finding that all these devices are online and actually even accessible through the internet, once they start seeing how much easier it is to go that route than to try and launch a phishing campaign, again, these guys are all about the dollars and cents. These are organizations that that are very sophisticated and they, they run like a business. And if there's a, a way to run your business with less cost, meaning it costs less to infiltrate via an IoT device than it does to launch a phishing attack, we're going to see this shift in the next five to 10 years for sure. Absolutely. And people need to be prepared for that. And locking down their environment through techniques like zero trust and the micro segmentation and controlling all the traffic is absolutely, at, at least at this point, the best way to approach it. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you very much, Tamara. Did you have any closing thoughts or anything you wanted to, to add to the conversation today? Look, I appreciate you having me today. I think that there are specific verticals that may be laggards when we're talking about zero trust. It seems like a pie in the sky. They're so far behind. Just to want to close with the fact that, look, it doesn't have to be something that's pie in the sky. That's a five-year-out type of project. You can start accomplishing that journey or approaching that journey today. And it all starts with that deep and wide visibility across the enterprise, starting to piece together all the other systems and tools in an automated way. We can get you there quicker than you think. It doesn't have to be this thing that's such a a long-term journey, especially if you're still so many steps behind. We're here to help you get there quicker, faster, sooner, so it doesn't have to be this pie in the sky. That's, That's one last thing I wanted to mention because I have noticed that there are certain verticals and industries where, unfortunately, they're not even close to thinking about zero trust, and it doesn't have to be that far away. Yeah, very, very true. I have those conversations all the time where somebody says, well, I can't afford to spend five years working on something like this. <laughs> and my, my first comment is, well, why don't you get visibility first? And we <laughs> can do that really quickly with a whole bunch of different kinds of tools, depending on the environment, depending on what your long-term goals are. And that's going to give you an insight as to what the organization truly has at risk, where today you just don't have that visibility. That's right. Or you've got that mixed bag of visibility where you've got three tools telling you three different things. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thanks, Timer. Really looking forward to what Forescout is doing in the future with Zero Trust. And I wish everybody well. 
Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Demystifying Zero Trust. We hope you found the content both interesting and insightful. Subscribe to this podcast to continue to explore why and how organizations should adopt Zero Trust.